today on CityCast Chicago. Mayor Lori Lightfoot said this week that she fully expects the Columbus statue to return to Grant Park. The city removed the statue in the middle of the night back in July 2020, a week after police clashed with protesters demanding its removal. Now, the mayor blames vigilantes for the violence in the protests. But a new story by the Chicago Reader and Southside Weekly shows evidence that police indiscriminately arrested and attacked some of the protesters. The Reader's Jim Daly walks us through what happened back in 2020. It's Thursday, March 31st. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. In July of 2020, July 17th, there was a a protest in support of indigenous and black and brown lives. uh, And and it quickly turned to also wanting to topple the Columbus statue in Grand Park. July 17th, 2020. Jim, do you remember that day? And can you walk our listeners through it? I do. Um, So that day, a coalition of groups came together in Grant Park for a protest that they titled Decolonize Zhigagong, which is the original native pronunciation of the word that we now call Chicago. As a member of Good Kids Mass City, I am here to say we are here standing in solidarity with our brothers and sisters from words such as OCAD, the Black Abolitionist Network, and our indigenous... And so then the, the crowd marched south to the Columbus statue, and there was a phalanx of Chicago police um, guarding the statue, and at that point, a smaller, more militant faction in the crowd um, that had come prepared for a confrontation, began throwing pop cans, fireworks. Um, A number of cops were injured, according to the department, and ultimately they retreated away from the statue. In the 15 or 20 minutes while they were gone, Um, protesters took over the space, uh, covered the pedestal of the statue in graffiti, and some tossed a rope around the top of it in an attempt to pull it down. Um, At some point, the police had regrouped and um, had tactical officers and um, cops who were better prepared, riot cops, basically. And they returned and began driving the crowd away, and the way that they did it was to indiscriminately attack journalists, nonviolent protesters. The Weekly did an in-depth investigation of what happened that day where we crowdsourced um, accounts from people who were there and then um, checked those against video to confirm them. And I think it's, you could fairly say what happened was a a, a police riot. Journalists were attacked, um, you know, civilians were attacked and quite a few were, were put in the hospital. Yeah. And then we have the situation um, with Officer Jovanovich and the activist Miracle Boy. Yes. Uh, can you tell us what happened? Yes. So Miracle Boyd is an activist with Good Kids Mad City. And at the time, she was live streaming the events via Facebook Live. And there was a group of cops who were um, arresting someone and she approached them. She said in her the statement that she gave to the Civilian Office of Police Accountability following the incident that she was about eight to 12 feet away from them 
trying to get the person's name and recording the arrest with her cell phone. At that point, Officer Jovanovich um, saw her and according to his, the police report that he filed, he believed that she was going to use what he called an unknown object, which she was holding, which was the cell phone. Always to, unknown objects in always. these, in these right. reports and in these testimonies. Absolutely right. And he said that he feared she was going to um, a- attack the, the police who were making the arrest or else try to uh, interfere with the arrest. And so his reaction to that uh, was to run up on her and smack the phone out of her hand. It's unclear from any of the the video or photographs whether he his fist connected with her face or just the cell phone. But either way, he hit her hard enough to knock out one of her teeth. Um, and she ran away. She lost the phone, never got it back. Can you tell me how did that play out in the immediate aftermath? You, you, we got testimony from Miracle. We got testimony from the officer. But, you know, it was really hard to collect footage from, from cell phones and, uh, you know, get body cam footage. How difficult was it to piece together these different elements? Uh, it was difficult. I mean, it took us um, more than 18 months to, to get all of it. At the weekly, when that happened, we immediately filed Freedom of Information Act requests with COPA to um, get what are called face sheets from all of the complaints that were filed that day. And face sheets are essentially a, a quick summary of the details of each complaint. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were close to a couple dozen. There were, there were very many that day. Um, and one, in one of them, we identified the uh, officer Jovanovich as the cop who had hit Miracle Boyd. Using that, we then requested all of the attachments to that investigation and COPA denied that request. Um, so we went to our friends at the law firm Lovie and Lovie, which is uh, a local firm that specializes in Freedom of Information Act requests. Okay. And, and they um, filed a lawsuit on our behalf. The, the reason COPA was withholding the, the video and images and other materials was because they were citing an ongoing investigation, but they did it in a way that was very so broad. They asserted that releasing these materials would interfere with their investigation, and that was a point that the attorneys litigated on. Um, and ultimately, um, in May of last year, COPA concluded its investigation and sent the results to the CPD. Their finding was that Jovanovich used excessive force when he attacked Boyd and that in the use of force report, what what the cops call a tactical response report, that he had either omitted information or put in misleading information. The reader filed a Freedom of Information Act request to get that tactical response report and we published it online. You can read it yourself and you can see that he does conflate the earlier events in which the militant group was throwing fireworks and pop cans at, at the cops around the statue with Miracle Boyd. And he says he checks boxes in the report that say she was attacking him.
So what happens with CPD once COPA finishes their investigation? So the way COPA works is they conclude an investigation. They send their recommendations to the CPD. Uh, Superintendent David Brown has a period of time to review and either agree with their recommendation or object to it. In this case, he objected. He suggested that instead of being fired, Jovanovich should be placed on a one-year suspension. One of the things you all did find out about the officer is that, according to the Invisible Institute, since 2005, when he joined the police force, he's filed at least 22 use of force reports, more than 96 percent of other officers. Um, in, In your time looking at this, you know, officers who are involved in cases like this, do they tend to have as, you know, larger records or, or some type of background where, you know, the history kind of shows that this excessive force was not a, a one or two time thing? Yes. And I'm very glad you brought that up because this is a key point. I've looked at a few police who were involved in high profile incidents. In every case, they definitely tend to use force far more often than other police officers, which I think tells you something uh, about Mm -hmm. the way the Chicago Police Department retains cops who tend to use force a lot. And in Jovanovich's case, um, a little more than 10 years ago, he beat up a teenager who did nothing other than talk impolitely to him and his partner. Mm -hmm. Just as we're having this conversation, the mayor has asserted yet again that she believes the Columbus statue will return to Grant Park. Yes, she has. And and she's, I think, been very clear with who she places the blame on. She says she's still haunted by vigilantes attacking police. But again, you you all's investigation show a completely different side to this story. Uh, So I got a two part question here. One, uh, how do you feel about the way the mayor refers to what happened on July 17th, 2020? And two, uh, do you think it's a smart idea to bring the statue back? To the first part of your question, I think calling that militant faction of people vigilantes is, you know, my my editor brain kicks in. And that's just simply not what a vigilante is. Um, But Mm. furthermore, you know, when you when you look at her statement and also some of the media coverage of it, uh, none of it mentioned the the police riot in which cops attacked yeah. journalists. You know, and it, it's um, mm-hmm. I don't think that's something that and can, kids and kids. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's something that can be glossed over. Mm-hmm. I think that any time you have a situation where a, a statue, for example, is a flashpoint. Um, for confrontations that can be very dangerous to everyone involved, uh, it is irresponsible to simply assert, you're just going to put it right back there. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine them putting it back without increased police presence, which is kind of the antithesis of what protesters wanted. They wanted, you know, this statue that I understand for Italian-American community in Chicago. It's this reference point. It's, it's this historical figure. But for so many across the city, it represents colonialism and genocide and the false promises of America. And uh, we're having these public safety town halls right now. And, and this moment that happened in 2020 represented a a clash between police and citizens. It, it deals with our public safety. 
But you never hear these town halls conversations of really police misconduct or how do community members feel about these monuments or increased police presence in their community. It's very clear to me that when the city talks about public safety, they're not talking about police violence or police misconduct. Jim, what does it say to you when the city brings up public safety and they leave out how citizens feel uh, about the police presence? You know, this is something that predates Superintendent Brown. It took decades for the powers that be in this city to acknowledge that John Burge was torturing Chicagoans um, in the in the 1980s. Uh, the city has had a problem with police brutality for decades. We're famous for it in Chicago. As we look back on, you know, a, a year and a half of an investigation, is it getting easier to tell these stories, to to get the footage you need, to get the police reports, to get the unredacted information? Or are you finding it just as complicated as ever to hold the police accountable? I mean, it remains challenging. It, it certainly remains mm. challenging. Um, in these confrontations, the police are not only armed with weapons, they're also armed with the knowledge that they have impunity. We still have Superintendent Brown defending this cop and others. Maybe it's possible that some small progress has been made. Maybe maybe behind, you know, everything, they're doing a great job. Uh, but we can't tell. And what we see out on the street doesn't really seem to reflect that. Jim Daly is the news editor with the Chicago Reader. I appreciate you making time for CityCast. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me on, Jacoby. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. Deborah Winsberg has been tapped to be the city's newest inspector general. Winsberg worked under Joe Ferguson, the previous IG. Check the show notes for our conversation with Ferguson. Vote-by-mail applications are now available for the June primary elections. If you're tired of waiting in line, vote by mail. You want to do it from the comfort of your own space? Vote by mail. Street sweeping season kicks off tomorrow, so y'all need to watch out for the no parking signs poorly placed around your neighborhoods. Those are the orange signs that the city ties around the tree trunk. You can also look at the street sweeping calendar on your older person's website or by calling 311. And some good news to get you through. Chicago historian Dilla is hosting a fundraiser tonight at DuSable Museum. He's working with the Greater Auburn Gresham Community Development to raise $200,000 to buy a bus for his Chicago Mahogany Tours. If you got some time, stop by. I'll see you there. Right now, we're doing a survey for our daily newsletter. If you want something to improve or you want to tell us how much you're enjoying it, visit our website at chicago.citycast.fm and we'll enter you to win a $100 Visa gift card. As always, I appreciate you for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Peace.